and sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 200 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. That's right. You heard me. It's our 200th episode. You know, it feels like only yesterday we started this podcast back in 2019, and it's really been a blast talking to people all across the wealth management industry. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. Now, for those of you uh, who have been uh, regular listeners, thank you very much for uh, bringing us to this uh, to this momentous occasion. And here are a few stats from our podcast going into our fourth year. So far, we've seen over 82,000 downloads of the podcast, and 80% of those listens are impactful plays, which is a measurement of uh, how long people are listening, which means they've listened through at least 75% or three quarters of the episode. So thank you for uh, listening all the way through. Now, Wealth Tech Today has global listenership. Now, the top country is the U.S. That's where we get most of our listens. However, uh, it's closely followed by a lot of other countries, United Kingdom, Canada, India, Hong Kong, Switzerland, Germany, France, and even Singapore. Thanks for everyone uh, all around the world who are listening to Wealth Tech Today. We regularly chart in the top 100 in the U.S. for fintech news, which is extremely tough to do, um, considering how many hundreds or even thousands of podcasts are in the news, the fintech news space. Now, we also have episodes that chart in the top 50 and even the top 10 in some global markets. And we'd love to hear from our listeners. So please uh, send me a tweet on the X app, formerly known as Twitter, at Craig Iskowitz, um, about an episode that you happen to like. Speaking of episodes you're going to like, you're going to love this one. My guest for this momentous 200th episode is, drumroll, the one and only April Rudin. Now, April was our first choice to help us mark this milestone, and I was really excited that she could fit us into her busy schedule. Quick overview of April, in case you are not aware of her accomplishments. She's the founder and president of the Rudin Group and is widely acknowledged as a top marketing strategist in the wealth management sector. April is distinguished by her ability to forecast and leverage critical trends and her expertise in digital and traditional media. She leads uh, the Rudin Group, which is now in its 15th year that designs, besp uh, designs bespoke marketing campaigns for some of the world's leading wealth management firms, fintechs, family offices, uh, building campaigns that strengthen brand value and drive client acquisition. April was recently named to the top 10 wealth management marketing and communication agencies by Wealth Solutions Report. She is also recognized by On Analytica as number one social media influencer in wealth management. April is a prolific writer and articles appear regularly in the biggest media outlets, including Forbes, Bloomberg, The Huffington Post, and others. Now, April has been a guest on our podcast two previous times, episode 26 and episode 90. So if you have some time, please go back and give them a listen. Now, before we get started, I have a message for you. If you are the executive at a broker-dealer, enterprise RIA, family office, or a TAMP, your tech debt is holding you back. Your old software platforms are rusty and falling apart, and they need a complete overhaul or to be replaced entirely. Your disparate systems don't communicate with each other, and it's driving your op staff and advisors crazy with manual processes and other errors. If this describes your company and your, and your tech infrastructure, you should run, not walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill out the Contact Us form on the homepage. Our experienced team can evaluate your technology ecosystem, 
deliver targeted recommendations, optimize your existing systems and operations, or run an RFP RFI and help you implement new software to help take your firm to the next level. And a few quick housekeeping notes before we continue. We at Ezra Group support a number of nonprofit organizations that do fantastic work for a variety of causes. One you should check out is the Invest in Others Foundation, which you can learn more about at investinothers.org. Please subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And now let's kick this thing off. So the attention economy, April, what does that mean to you? Well, I think it's no secret uh, as a result of the pandemic, as a result of social media channels, as a result of so much news and the availability of opinions all over the place, um, that there's a lot of information for people to consume. And so the attention economy is really about how to um, create content and how to create the right amount and the right kind of content and just in time content so that it really uh, helps the reader rather than just simply producing content for content's sake. So you're competing, everyone, I don't mean you, but everyone is competing with so many different outlets and so many different places where people can get information. And so how do you differentiate yourself and why, why should you differentiate yourself and what should you differentiate yourself with in terms of content to make sure that you're getting the attention at the right time and on the right topics that you want as a content creator or financial advisor or marketing department? Any of those. Mm-hmm. So I know advisors are complaining that it's becoming more difficult to get clients to read whatever they're sending them. Besides just regular content, just white papers, investor communications. What is behind this? What's the cause and how can advisors reverse this trend? Well, I think we need to ask ourselves, why would a client read a white paper? produced by a financial advisor. What? Why would they? Why would they? I mean, I think that the whole idea is kind of flawed. I think the idea of financial advisors um, feeling like they must be content creators, like they must write blogs, they must write, you know, have a podcast. They must be content creators to me is, is really flawed. Now on balance, they have something to say, um, to their clients, but it's not the same thing for all clients. It's not the same length for all of their clients. It's not the same topic for all of their clients. And again, just in time, it's it's not at the right time. So for example, you might, uh, you're an advisor might create a white paper on, you know, sudden wealth, but if you are not suddenly wealthy, it has no relevance to you. Mm-hmm. So Uh, creating one white paper by a financial advisor, by a marketing team within an organization, um, by anyone really doesn't resonate anymore because it's competing in the attention economy with all different sources of the same information from varying people. So um, why would one financial advisor's content stand up against, you know, 
everything else that you're competing against? And should you even spend your time? I think that real is the fundamental question here. Should you spend your time on content creation? And if so, what is the reason behind it? Is it for your lead gen? Is it because you're trying to create sticky relationships with clients? Is it for educational? Like maybe it's better to just really point them to other sources of educational material that you didn't spend time creating, but that you have evaluated. So you mentioned the content, you have to have the right amount of content, the right kind of content and at the right time. How do you know, how is how can an advisor, wealth management firm, broker dealer, that's putting out content marketing department, figure out the right amount, the right kind and right time? So thank goodness for digital, because digital gives us all of the data and analytics that you would ever want to see. You can look at the opens, you can see who's opening it, you can see the number of times, um, you can see how long they've spent reading something. There are a ton of um, analytics that you can look at that will validate or invalidate um, your desire or your distribution of content to let you know what topics have resonated, what form of content resonated. Um, should it always be a video? Should it always be a white paper? Do people read blogs? All of these questions really go into what I call the vegetable. I think you and I have talked about this before, <laughs> the vegetable soup, right? right. Your marketing um, strategy is like a vegetable soup. It's got carrots, it's got potatoes, it's got whatever you want thrown in it. And then you taste it to see what else it needs. And um, so each time you do it, it could be different because it might come out differently, but that doesn't mean it's turning out poorly. It's based on what the need is at that particular time. So um, time of the year is really important. So mm -hmm. content on um, Forgiving Tuesday, let's say, or for uh, tax savings toward the end of the year, or, you know, it, it's all about time and it's mm -hmm. about how people want to consume it. Um, but I think, you know, it it doesn't mean that as an advisor, you need to create your own content yourself. There's plenty of great content on the internet mm -hmm. um, that you can feed to your clients. So every time I see someone saying all advisors must have a blog or all advisors must mm -hmm. have a podcast, I just think to myself, why? I mean, they shouldn't? No. I mean, why? You have to spend time creating the content, building the audience, like that is a real marketing function. And so mm -hmm. that takes away, again, from your time um, advising clients on the matters that you should be advising mm -hmm. them on. So what about advisors sense. who want to grow their business and in growth mode? Doesn't marketing is a key part of that. We've seen advisors who are small and in the lifestyle business don't need to market so much. They, they, they grow mostly by word of mouth and referrals, but advisory firms that are growing fast or want to get to a billion or more need to really spend a lot on marketing. So isn't that true? And then why wouldn't a podcast or other content be useful? It might be, but it's just, again, one piece of the puzzle. So you know, look, I've operated my marketing firm for 15 years and served tons of clients. So I'm not advocating against marketing. Hmm. What I'm saying is that individual RIAs may not have to create their own content. And if so, aren't they just create aren't they just competing with other content from other advisors or on the you know that's in the mark in market already. So if one RIA is creating content on retirement and another one is creating content on retirement, 
you're not going to make a decision on which which one to hire based on the content that they've created. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. you know, that, that I think is fallacious. Now, right. it, at the end of the day, everyone's marketing adds up to something. But I think mm-hmm. given the fact that, again, as I mentioned before, in digital, you can run digital ads. You know, there's so many other ways of reaching more people and having mm-hmm. more targeted and focused marketing rather than just creating content for the sake of having a blog or having a podcast. I mean, I would ask you how long it takes a while to grow your audience. Um, well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I started, we started our blog. We know we're not advisors, right? We're a tech, we're, we're a consulting company, two advisors, right? right? Our clients are RIAs. Yeah. So we, I started the blog in 2009. Yeah. So it took years to, to, to take <laughs> off. Yeah. Exactly. So do advisors have years to spend growing their blog business or growing a podcast business and how what other marketing tactics can they employ that are more effective quicker more targeted than just content creation so i think that there's not a a must-have there um you know and and that's not to say that occasionally they shouldn't be um creating content so around certain market conditions or business news or things that really require an explanation, um, then it might be that that they should create content, but just creating content for content's sake to throw it into the the ether uh, just doesn't really work and seems like a big waste of time. So you mentioned um, tasting the soup. So I'm assuming that's um, using your tools or analytics, Google Analytics or other analytical tools to, to know, to monitor what uh, prospective clients or your clients are clicking on what's which content is resonating. So should they double down on what resonates or expand into other subjects? What What's your recommendation? So I think it's always good to survey or talk to people. I mean, there's no reason why you can't, as you're talking to clients, just really ask that as a question. Um, is there some kind of content that you'd like to read? Is there something that you have a question on? Um, and then just anecdotally, advisors can add that to the data and analytics that they're getting to find out if they're really missing the mark. So again, just because something's in the news or they think something's important to them, it may not be um, of interest or of interest at that time, like I said. So many people will say to me, oh, we did a white paper on retirement and it's on our website. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think clients are going to be going back to your website, searching through all the content that you've created Mm -hmm. to see if there is content that's relevant Mm -hmm. to them at that time. So to me, it just doesn't really hold water. So the just in time part is also really important as your clients are aging, as your clients have different situations, going through a divorce in transition, you might think to yourself, I'm not interested in that. And then suddenly you might find yourself interested in that. Mm -hmm the death of a spouse, divorce, all of these things that are life cycle events may be timely, but not of interest to you now or importance until they are. And then they're urgent. When you're talking about timing, do you recommend targeted content? So I should use my CRM and say this, this, this family is getting divorced. So I want to target them with divorce content or just send out divorce content in a newsletter every so often and see who hits, who it hits. I think it's better to be targeted. Um, like I said, I mean, you're able to be targeted, but then again, 
people going through a divorce may not want to read that content, right? So maybe they're inundated and they would rather spend their time reading about travel content or something like that that comes mm -hmm. from their advisor, how to budget for yeah. a vacation because they want to take a break from their divorce. So I think mm -hmm. all of these assumptions in terms of content calendar topics and things are really um, fungible because we don't really know. So the real answer to these questions for every individual advisor comes from the data and analytics behind their opens, um, their click rates, and it's all their mm. Google analytics, their website, wh which parts of the website are being looked at by whom and how long. So I think it's all right there. It is all right there. There's a lot, there's a lot available. I guess you can also overanalyze there's so much data available on what what your everyone is doing who comes to your website you can use a tool like hotjar and, and watch them move the mouse around the screen yes. do they, do you, should they be going to that level or just keep it high level no just keep it high level i mean overall the two pages that people frequent the most on websites are the home page obviously so that needs to be super compelling that needs to have a great emotive image that and I don't mean the, you know, the conference table that looks like the UN with all different people around it. That's a stock photo, mm -hmm. something that's more emotive, inviting, and you think represents yourself mm -hmm. and is unique, like, you know, Ezra Group Purple, let's say. Mm -hmm. And then the next page that gets the most traffic generally is the About Us page. So spending time on the About Us is also mm -hmm. content that is really content that converts so the about us is is taking your skills, your experience, and your knowledge and tying it to the work that you do mm -hmm. so that people understand that. So just saying, for example, um, some of your um, qualifications or your designations may not be enough because individual um, prospects may not know what a CFP is versus mm -hmm. the CFA, for example. So tying your skills and experience and that content on your about us page is critical to communicate to prospective um investors how what you've done relates back to them and let me also add sorry let me also yeah. add one more thing to that craig which is that you're not going to appeal to every person and i think that's really important for everyone to understand in marketing uh, you know when i first started my business and i told people i was going to be in wealth management marketing that sounded so narrow to most people they just couldn't even fathom it mm -hmm. without thinking that the more narrow the slice the better you are and the more mm -hmm. you're going to be known as best in class in that narrow slice so when my hairdresser asked me can i do her website for her salon, mm -hmm. the answer is yes. And wouldn't it be fun that we'd bring you there and give you an Afro and a goatee and do whatever we were going to do, except it's just not in my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So it's better to stick to your knitting and think of who your target clients are and the best fit and just be very narrow without thinking that your message, your language and everything needs to hit everybody that's coming to your site. Let me just take a quick break from this interview to talk about the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to uh, be participating in this charitable organization, and they give me the honor of uh, every year helping to judge some of the charities that are going to be awarded uh, money. 
And uh, you can get uh, money for your charity if you are a financial advisor or an advisory firm. And you can also uh, participate in a program that Invest in Others is running called the Charitable Champions. This recognizes financial advisory firms that give back to their communities. Let me just read a little bit. This is on their website, investinothers.org. Uh, the Charitable Champions recognizes financial advisory firms that give back to their communities by promoting a culture of philanthropy amongst their financial advisors and staff. You can submit your firm name uh, to the, the, uh, the organization. Uh, the application is already open. The deadline is July 7th, and the winners will be announced August 16th. Submissions will be evaluated blindly by a panel of advisors based on criteria including leadership and culture, events and activities, incentives, contributions, and impact. Now, I'm not a judge on this. I judge other, I judge usually advisor charities. And um, it's very difficult to do that kind of judging because they give us 10 charities with 10 advisors. And we have to decide which advisor gave the most back to their charity and helped them the most. It's really tough. Uh, but you know, all the money is going to a great cause. So please go to investinothers.org. And if you are uh, running a financial advisory firm, sign up for the charitable champions list. Speaking of being successful in a niche, uh, congratulations. Uh, Wealth Solutions Report just named you in the top 10 wealth management marketing and communication agencies. So thank you. Yeah, well, it's kind of exciting because this is our 15th year in business. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just read a statistic that 96% of businesses fail um, before mm -hmm. 10 years. So happy to be in the 4% of that. Um, All right. Congratulations. Thank Join you. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm thrilled. I'm uh, sort of had no idea that, uh, I mean, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I knew mm -hmm. I was going to start a business, but when you start it, you don't know exactly where you're going with it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we've morphed over the years. Um, we're in the middle right now of our own brand relaunch, which will be coming mm -hmm. in September. So excited about that. Mm -hmm. And by the way, uh, just another tip for people. So even though, we are a marketing firm and we could certainly do our own marketing. Uh, we hired an outside firm to help mm -hmm. us do that because they're going to take a better view and have new ideas and new information for mm -hmm. us and see us in, in a different light. And so, again, really important not to be a DIY shop, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, professional advice and professional services are just that they're worth it. I would agree as a consultant, <laughs> uh, I yeah. agree wholeheartedly. Uh, all right. So uh, whether you're doing marketing or you're doing your tech stack, uh, yes. bring someone in who is an expert. And, and we hear this all the time. Well, we can do this deployment of a CRM. You know, I've got my staff. They've been using the CRM for 10 years. Why can't they do it? Well, because they've never deployed a new CRM. This is the first one they've done. Well, the last one they did was 10 years ago where we, we do a, a bunch of every year. So we're experts and we're going to do it quicker, faster, and better for you. And so things like that. So the same with marketing, you are looking at thousands of, of uh, firms and hundreds of firms are working with, and you know much better than their internal staff, what's going to work and what's not going to work. I think, yeah, we could pause there for a minute too. Just the benefit of outside advice, I think is huge. Um, you know, people uh, inside an organization and both of us, both of our, in both of our areas of expertise, we work with inside people. So um, it's always, you know, important to work with great inside people too. But um, 
respectfully, it's sometimes insular to be inside an organization. You only know what you know. And um, in financial services, many times people have been, been in the same job, as you mentioned, for a long time. And so no matter how many conferences they attend or whatever they're doing, they cannot possibly be as um, nimble and up to speed and have uh, ideas that actually drive growth and drive business as people who are doing that one thing every single day. Um, sometimes I tell people it's sort of like when you have a flat tire, Craig, and you have a mental breakdown because you have a flat tire. Well, maybe you don't, but I do. <laughs> and I have to call AAA to come save me. And then some guy comes in some little car even, and in you know five minutes changes my tire. Right. Because that's what he does every day. So it's it's easy for him. He knows what mm -hmm. to do. And so that's how outside services work too. Yeah. Well, like installing, like when I got a flat panel TV installed, right? I've got, a, I'm a technical person. I'm hands-on. I could do it, but it would mm -hmm. take me a lot longer than people who come in and that's all they do is install flat panel TVs. And they had it set up in, in under an hour and I didn't have exactly. to do anything. So exactly. yeah, in some cases you have to know when it's worth it to outsource. Is it part of your... We tell our clients, is it part of your value add? Is it is a reason why clients hire you because of your you know, CRM, right? No, they don't know yeah. if what your CRM is. They don't care. So why are you building one? Or why are you building a proposal generation tool? Um, your clients don't care whether it's from you or from one of the vendors out there. They just want to see what the, what's what, what you're proposing for them, what their current versus proposed target uh, portfolio is. They don't care what software develop that. Uh, so understanding where those particular areas of, of value are, if you want really to spend money on customization and, and and making it unique, do it with the areas where the client has direct access. Exactly. I mean, there's no uh, uh, coming to market quicker and getting things um, mm -hmm. uh, in order in your tech stack and similarly in your marketing. I mean, what makes a difference is the measurement, right? The clients that you onboard not the number or amount of time that it takes you to um, deploy your own CRM or create mm -hmm. your own marketing campaigns. I mean, for example, I mean, the people that we have and we use at the Rudin Group are all very experienced financial services marketers. Mm -hmm. So we always joke and say, we don't have the Ashleys and we don't have the Aidens. We don't have, you don't hire us and then you get you know, uh, junior people who are coming in to do your job. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we are thought partners. I know your firm is like that as well. We are thought partners mm -hmm. with our clients. Um, we sit side by side with them and help them to create and deploy and refine marketing programs mm -hmm. that work. Yeah, we're the, we're the same way. Yeah, we work with our, our RIA broker deal clients as, as partners and um, right. We, everyone who we work with has got 20 or 30 years minimum experience in the industry, either hands-on as a COO, CTO, or operator, or working for vendors uh, in different spaces and, and our, whether just in wealth and asset management. And that pays off uh, because when, when a big five consulting firm comes in and brings an army of MBAs, newly minted MBAs, they're, they're our best lead gen. Because we get calls from firms like you know XYZ, I'll mention the name, just came in and charged us X million dollars and dropped the deck, and we don't know what to do with it. And that's where we come in because we know what we know what to do. We we can actually execute, whereas these other firms can't because they haven't had they don't have the experience in the industry. 
hundred percent. And then there's that business model with the junior people too. Um, many different agencies will have senior people and then have junior people as the account exec. And, you know, that person doesn't know the difference between an IRA or an RIA. Mm -hmm. And so they're not adding any value. Um, you know, we have a team of many different people, again, just like yours, that can be put together that really move clients forward in their marketing plans instead of just, you know, executing something for something's sake. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Okay, so we're getting close to the end of our time here. I want to hit a couple more topics. Um, repackaging. So I know you recommend um, using attention grabbing headlines. What's the best way to create these and avoid uh, seeing being seen as clickbait? So I think the best uh, attention getting headlines are things that ask a question or tell a story, right? So they're going to be things like, um, you know, four four ways to uh four things you need to understand before you um apply for social security let's say let's just pick that as an example even though that's pretty basic but that way people know exactly what they're clicking on they know exactly what is in the article it's not something cute and fancy like uh learn about what succession what the show succession can teach you about succession planning that's an example of you know clickbait that probably has no value mm. in the article because it's just, you know, clicking on something that's timely or in the news, mm -hmm. but may not be relevant. So it doesn't give you any indication of what's in the article. So that's a perfect example of, you know, the attention economy, you're fighting for people's mm -hmm. attention. If you want them to read one particular article, just use plain English and tell them what's in the article, give mm -hmm. it a plain English name. Are there tools that you recommend that can make headline creation easier? Um, I think that's where people get hung up and thinking that there's, you know, some headlines do better than other headlines for sure. And more people click on them. But the question is, in terms of the, the analytics and the metrics, does it really matter how many people click on it? Or is there something that you want people to do after they've clicked on mm. that? to really add value, right? So we often counsel our clients to begin with the end in mind. So when you're creating content or you're putting together an article, uh, folks need to think about what is the purpose or what do we want people to do after this? So uh, let's say you're gonna create you know, the four things as I was mentioning before, and you're gonna follow it up with, um, um, you know, an in-person meeting, let's say. So maybe at the end of your article, it's going to say, write down the questions or schedule us, schedule a meeting with us to discuss your own individual situation. Mm. But just sort of a primer that is bringing people down the marketing funnel. Mm. And, um, you know, so, so the metrics are, you know, are more vanity metrics, right? How many clicks did you get? Mm. Um, another, and, and by whom? So, um, LinkedIn, I would say, is a really good example of that. Um, we get a lot of clients and people will get really excited if they have a lot of likes mm -hmm. on a post. But the truth is, who are the likes from? If they're all likes from within your organization, 
it's not moving your needle. <laughs> if there are likes from your friends, I mean, I, I love it when you like something <laughs> I write, but since you're not hiring me and we're not mm-hmm. doing business together, how important is that? So I think it's right. really important to consider, you know, people look at the quality, the quantity, but really it's the quality that you need to look at on balance. Now, what so about fact, somebody was just oh, sorry, I was just going to add somebody was just um, saying to me the other day about some of the Forbes blogs that I do. And he said to me, I take each and every one and I send it out to my list of people. Mm-hmm. So those are not clicks that we would necessarily see. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that content is still being widely um, spread out and it's going to more relevant people. Mm-hmm. than I might see. So, so you, if I can summarize that, conversion rate is more important than views and clicks. Absolutely. Right. What What are you getting out of it? How many meetings are you getting, or what? Are, or how many downloads are you getting? Whatever your your goal is, more important yes. than views and clicks. Exactly. Those are you know what are called vanity metrics. In other words, they just make you feel good, but. Um, you know, if you want to show your mom or your husband or your wife, mm-hmm. that's great. But otherwise, right. so something you mentioned when we first started talking, um, differentiating yourself. Uh, should you look at your competitors and what they're doing uh, in marketing and copy it? And if you do, how do you differentiate or should you do something completely different? Uh, how do you set yourself apart? There's so many advisory firms, RIAs are all over the places, 15,000. I saw a, a, a sort of stat from the SEC. In 2012, there were 10,500 RIAs. 2022, wow. there were 15,500. That's a, almost a 45% increase. So there's way more RIAs now. How do you differentiate? So it's a great question. I mean, the services that you provide might be very, very similar. So the idea is um, to differentiate in your communications so that when people are looking at your firm versus another firm, they understand the differences. So I am, um, and we recommend to our clients that they begin with a competitive analysis. And many times it's it, it can be on capabilities, but in our work, more often it's on communication. So it's in finding the white space and how do you communicate and what you communicate that others may not be communicating. And that's really the key to... Um, great communications that break through, right? It's saying something or doing something in a way that others haven't done it. So if all advisors should use video marketing, then everybody has a video on their homepage. That's not good, Mm. right? So, and nobody's going to make a decision because your video is better than somebody else's video. Mm. However, what they will pay attention to is how they felt about it. And Mm -hmm. so many times we also tell people on balance that it's the white space, it's a communications message, it's your messaging that should be differentiated, but it's also emotive because we know that people like to do business with people that they like or feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So it's just how you come across perhaps that makes people want to do business with you as opposed to someone else, given that everything else might be equal. So your recommendation is think about how your content is going to make your prospective clients, how it makes them feel. How it makes them feel and how you communicate that. So we call that like the white space. How do you occupy or locate the white space from your website, your marketing, your content, as opposed to whomever you feel your your competitors might be. And that could be broker dealers, wirehouse, other RIAs, you know, it, it, 
can be so many different people. So mm-hmm. just taking a look at people that you think or firms that you think I should say are your competitors and looking and listening and thinking about what they're communicating and how you might find more white space and find ways of communicating what you do in a better and different way than how they're doing it. So when you say white space, you mean the space that isn't being communicated that you can fill. Exactly. Exactly. There's no sense in doing the same website with the same tabs, how we work, what we do, uh, you know, uh, that that really isn't driving anything. So even thinking about uh, what the tabs, you know, even something, you know, as seemingly minute as what the tabs might be, um, or your images, the pictures that you use, um, you know, it used to be pre-pandemic that everybody had to have a suit and tie, let's say, in their photo, but more and more people today are, are not wearing a suit and tie and a or yep. jacket for a woman. So how do you come across as as being somebody that you want to work with or talk to every day? Because people want to do business with people they like. So I think I have the cut the title for this podcast. How can advisors find the white space in their marketing strategy with April Rudin? I love it. There you go. Done. Perfect. And we're out of time. April, where can people find more information about the Rudin Group uh, if they want to work with you guys? Uh, so they can find us at www.therudingroup.com or LinkedIn, uh, X, formerly Twitter, um, Threads, we're everywhere, mm-hmm. Instagram, TikTok, which we didn't get a chance to talk about, which I'll have to talk to you on our next podcast. Next podcast. And this is this is your third appearance. Congratulations. You've been coming on almost every other year, 2019, 2021, 2023. So we'll see you again in 2025. Okay. Can't wait. Thanks, Thanks April. Hey, it's Craig again. And here are my three takeaways from this episode. Number one, every advisor does not need a podcast. Take a look at your content and design a strategy that will be the best at reaching the kinds of prospects and clients that you want to work with. Make the content uh, thought out and timely. Think of your marketing strategy as a sort of vegetable soup that contains a variety of different content all mixed together. As April said, it's important to taste your recipe on a regular basis to make sure it tastes the taste is to your liking. That means for digital content, using analytical tools like Google Analytics or other tools that monitor uh, which is the most popular content, where people are, are, are viewing more, where they're viewing less, and adjust your content strategy accordingly. Number three, make sure you spend the time to create headlines that will grab the attention of the prospects and clients that you're targeting. Now, I recommend trying ChatGPT, Google Bard, or another generative AI tool to help brainstorm ideas. We find that they're really good at doing that. Uh, we've had a lot of success with them. And that's it. You've reached the end of the 200th episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Can't believe how far we've come. And I sincerely thank all of our listeners, uh, the new ones, the old ones, and the in-betweens. I appreciate all of you. And please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, information updates. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again for listening and talk to you all again next time.